Someone's baby boy ain't coming home tonight. A Jojo Bizarre Adventure fan fiction. Written by Sim KJRS. And read by God of Laundry Baskets. It is rated teen and up. Content warnings for graphic depictions of violence, references to self-harm, references to suicidal thoughts and ideation, and major character death. The story has been split into three parts for listening convenience. Part 1 Bye, Jotaro! Have a good day at school! Jotaro grunts, but leans down out of habit to receive her kiss on the cheek. It's more annoying if he doesn't, and she makes a fuss. He turns away without a word and walks down towards the gate. Don't forget to stay in the designated districts, Mom calls, waving from the porch. I got it already. He shuts the gate on her cheerful smile and starts on his walk to school. Ever since he came back from Egypt, she's been more and more worried about his safety, always telling him not to go too far, and then going as far to ask him to stick to a few specific districts in the city. Sure, he and Gramps got into a few mishaps, but it turned out fine in the end, didn't it? Jotaro doesn't exactly have anyone he cares to hang out with, so it's not hard to stay within the limits, she asks. It just chafes. Still, he tries his best, but today he'll be reneging on her trust. He rolls back the sleeve on his left arm and looks at the scabbed over words that have been cut into his skin. Kasai 181. Bring pen. The first line is an address one of the districts that Mom doesn't want him going to, saying that it's too far in case an emergency happens. The second one, a weird instruction. And it's not like Jotaro makes it a habit to listen to what other people say to him, but this is too strange of a case. He doesn't remember doing this to himself, but if he didn't do it, then who? And if he did do it, then why can't he remember? If he wants to figure it out, he has to investigate, and the only clue he has is following the instructions on his arm. He rolls the sleeve back down. The two pens and the spare notepaper he has hidden inside his jacket seem almost seem to burn. If it's a trap from the delinquent gangs again, he'll have to be careful but he's always been confident in his ability to solve his problems through violence, if nothing else. That can wait, though. Two months of traveling around has cut into his education. He can't skip as much as he'd like to anymore. Mysterious words carved into his arm later. School first. Kasai Block One isn't particularly remarkable, except for how empty it is even in the afternoon. The perfect place to have a fight without anybody coming, Jotaro thinks. He's gotten into enough fights with the neighborhood punks to know. 
He looks up at Building 81. Walls of peach-colored stucco, white window frames that have been recently repainted but have failed to prevent the paint underneath from chipping away anyways. Some bushes, some balconies. Nothing special, as far as he can tell. What is he supposed to be doing here? It's some strange instinct that makes him step sharply to the side just in time to dodge a small barrage of knives. The knives burst into paper shreds and flutter away on the breeze. A trick? He tracks the knives' trajectory to the roof of a building across the street. There's a girl standing there. She has red hair and a green school uniform, scarred arms and twitching fingers and sharp, wild eyes like a beast. She is looking at him. Should have known that wouldn't be enough to kill you, even as you are now, she says, voice carrying on the wind. Jotaro is infamous enough among the school gangs, but they've never fought to kill before. And what does she mean? as he is now. What the hell is this? She steps forward onto the edge of the roof, the sun glaring behind her head until her expression is entirely hidden by shadow. Jotaro tenses and slides into a ready stance. Does she have more weapons on her? With the sun in his eyes, he can't be sure. But she doesn't do anything. She just glares at him, her hands by her side, and tilts herself right off the roof. Jotaro shouts and starts forward to catch her, but quickly comes to an abrupt stop. The girl has pulled three white squares from her coat pocket, and with a flick of her fingers sends them flying out. One transforms into a surreal white tiger with rainbow wings, painted through the air like a mural, and it catches the girl on its back before bounding to the ground, and the other two transform into much more real-looking tigers that lock their eyes on him and attack. The fuckers are fast. Even throwing himself to the side right away, he barely gets out of the way of the first tiger's leap. It lands on top of a car, denting it with its weight. When it claws at the surface, deep gouges are drawn in the metal and glass. Well, there goes any hope that this is some kind of illusion. He doesn't know how the fuck these tigers got here, but they're real enough, and if they hit him, he's dead. What to do? Running? Not an option. Tigers are faster than he is. Talking to the girl? No time. And she seems intent on killing him. Waste of time make himself seem bigger and more threatening to the tigers. Might work if they were real, but they're intent on attacking him. He's fairly certain that somehow they've been trained to follow the girl's intentions. Only option left is to fight. Usually not a problem. But then again, he usually isn't fighting a 400-pound carnivore that could take his head off in one bite. When the next tiger attacks, Jotaro forces himself to stand in place, at the last second, he slips to the side and aims a hit at its eyes. He misjudged the tiger's response time. It catches his forearm in its mouth, teeth digging through flesh as it moves to rip off Jotaro's arm. Jotaro shouts and catches onto its ear with his other hand, pulling himself forward with its movement so his arm doesn't come off. With his trapped arm, he claws at the tiger's tongue and throat until the tongue gives way under his fingers. It gags, forced to open its jaws. 
He tears his arm out as fast as he can, and it comes out in bloody ribbons. Shit. But at least it's not broken. He's on a timer now. Gotta get that wound bandaged. But at least he can still move. But how is he supposed to kill two, maybe three tigers and get the girl off his back? No time to think. The tigers attack again. They move with unnatural coordination as they move to claw him, but Jotaro manages to rebuff their attacks with a few well-placed kicks to their jaws. That's when he realizes. Although they're strong and vicious, they're much too light to be real tigers. At most, they weigh as much as the punks he regularly kicks around at school, and Jotaro knows how to deal with those. In fact... Now that he thinks about it, weren't they a little too fragile? The way that one tiger's tongue came apart so easily in his hands. One of the tigers leaps towards him with claws outstretched. Jotaro stuffs into it, though, bodily checking it and tackling it to the ground. He's practically hugging it around the neck, and although it's tearing at his coat and snapping its teeth by his ears, if he just squeezes the neck harder, enough to break a bone easy, he's done this so many times before, he barely has to think about it at all. Jotaro falls to the ground with a surprised grunt as the tiger's neck snaps, and it scatters into shreds of paper that flit away on the wind. From the side, the girl flinches. Fucker! She screams. Huh. He rolls out of the way of an attack from the second tiger, leaping away back onto his feet. When it does another leaping attack, he tries stepping into its attack again, but it apparently has learned from the mistake of its counterpart, and he only barely manages to duck away in time for its teeth to miss his neck, how to pull out some new tricks. The next attack, he tries paring the arm and going for a hold like he could for any human opponent as well. It kind of works, in that he's got a hold of the tiger by the midriff now, but its distinctly non-human musculature means that it's tearing him up in all sorts of ways with its legs as he's holding it. Jotaro grits his teeth and slams it to the ground as hard as he can, knocking a surprised snarl out of the tiger. Perfect opportunity to sucker punch it in the stomach again and go for the jugular and then eat shit. The girl screams as her winged tiger barrels into his side and knocks him to the ground. Jotaro groans, barely having the presence of mind to shove his hand directly down the tiger's esophagus before it can bite his throat. It coughs violently, giving him just enough time to get his arms up and land a few good hits on its face. You are so fucking annoying! The girl clutches her head, eyes squeezed shut, and flings her arm out towards him. The next moment, the normal tiger has appeared again, and it catches his hands in its jaws and bites down hard. Jotaro howls as he feels teeth scrape bone, jerks his arms back reflexively, but it just results in more blood, another jolt of pain, and blood running down in rivulets. The tiger doesn't let go. The winged tiger places one leg on Jotaro's chest and leans down hard. He wheezes as the claws creep closer and closer to his throat, kicks at the tiger's underbelly until it steps on his legs, too. The girl glares at him from on top of the winged tiger's back. You're more trouble than you're worth, Joe Star, she sneers, spitting the name like a dirty word. 
That's not my name, Jotaro glares back at her. The fuck you want? She laughs derisively. Ha! Isn't it obvious? I want you dead. He curls his lip just a little bit. Not enough to off him immediately, though. She wants to grandstand, have a witness. He's fought enough of these types at school. Why? Did I beat up your boyfriend or something? The girl barks out an unamused laugh, and the winged tiger claws dig just a little deeper into his skin. Oh, you'd love to know, wouldn't you? Poor little Joe Star. Her tone flattens. I've done all this work, and for what? You have no idea about anything at all. What the fuck is she talking about? Maybe the confusion shows because she laughs again harder this time. Ha! <laughs> it's so stupid, she says. You don't even know anymore. You have no idea what you took from me. She smiles now, a terrible rictus of a thing, a reflection of some terrible beast lying within. He knows the monster behind that sort of smile, knows it without having to say a word. But what does it matter? Well, can you tell me? He looks at her, and she looks back at him, and although he has no idea what she means, how she knows about him, or why she has been pushed so far in that moment, he thinks, she's the same as me. That's why, looking into her suddenly indifferent eyes, he knows with a bone-deep certainty that she is going to kill him. He knows your life is supposed to flash in front of your eyes in your last moments, but it doesn't. It just feels calm, detached. So this is how it happens in the end. The winged tiger raises its claws. Goodbye, Kujo Jotaro, says the girl. You'll never know why you died. Jotaro watches the claws come down and thinks, my mother will never know either. No! The refusal that bursts to life in him is so strong, it knocks the breath out of him, senseless with denial. Not like this. He won't leave her behind like this. He won't allow it. He won't. It takes him a second to realize that he isn't dead. It takes him another second to process the ghostly purple arms above him, gripping the winged tiger by its leg and jaw, and they move forward, pushing the winged tiger back, and Jotaro watches in stupefaction as a purple ghost with a waving mane of black hair rises out of him. He has never seen it before. He has never seen it before, and yet he knows it better than his own name. Ora! The purple ghost cries, throwing the winged tiger and the girl halfway down the street. They slam into a street lamp with a resounding crack that makes Jotaro wince. The other tiger bites down on his hand, but the purple ghost is suddenly there, gripping it by its jaws and prying them open. And then, with a roar of exertion, it uses its grip on the tiger's jaw to rip the tiger in half. As Jotaro pushes himself to his feet on bloody hands, watching papers scatter into the air, he thinks, I should know this. I should know 
what this is. The girl screams, furious, climbing to her feet. Not again, she is yelling. I got you this time. I did. Just stay down for fucking once in your life. And the winged tiger is bounding forward with a snarl, claws outstretched for the purple ghost. And Jotaro thinks you have to fight back. And it does. It shouts as it delivers a barrage of punches to the winged tiger. And the construct disappears in a burst of shredded paper like everything else the girl summoned during the fight. The girl flinches when the tiger disappears, clutching her head. Fuck you! You forgot everything, so why? Fuck you! Fuck you! Jotaro starts down the street towards her. Her tigers are gone, and he has some sort of spirit haunting him, following his whims. It feels like an old friend. Who are you? He says. His spirit wounds by his side as he approaches. Fuck you! Why do you want to kill me? You know damn well what you did, she yells at him. You and all the rest, you murderers, on your little crusade for justice without a single care for all the people in its wake. The purple ghost draws back its hand and punches the brick wall next to the girl's head. The wall craters, dust and shards drizzle to the ground. Talk, Jotaro orders. She hisses at him. She flicks her hand past her sleeve. Another white paper flutters out between them and transforms into a cement wall that blocks off the entire street. Ora! The ghost declares and punches the wall into rubble. By the time it's been destroyed, shredded into paper once again, the girl has gotten onto some kind of painted carpet and is floating by the rooftops out of range. This isn't over, Joe Star. Jotaro glares at her, clenching his fist, ignoring the pain in his arms and the blood slipping between his fingers. Why? What the hell did I do to you? She laughs at him, wild upon her conjured ride. <laughs> oh, you would love to know, wouldn't you? But there's just no point in telling you. Bullshit! <laughs> it doesn't matter if you believe me or not. I mean, she laughs again. <laughs> this is the third time we've had this same fight, after all. What? You're lying, he says. How the hell would I forget you? Oh, do you say that to all the girls? She leers at him. I would never lie to you. We have fought before, and you have forgotten every single time. It's enough to make a lady ashamed of leaving so little of an impression. How? You always go back to your mother to keep her safe, so worried for her, so anxious to protect. Jotaro tenses without thinking, Don't you fucking touch her! She laughs at him mockingly. Oh, I don't need to, Joestar. As long as you return to her side, you'll forget again and again and again. She smiles. And I'll have as many chances as I want until I finally win. And then the rug sweeps away over the rooftops and she disappears. And Jotaro is left standing in the middle of the street blood dripping down his hands.
Jotaro is standing at the train station, and his head hurts. He can't quite remember how he got here. His arms throb with pain. He glances around. The passerbys studiously avoid his gaze and walk a little faster when he's near. Jotaro retreats to the men's bathroom to figure out what's going on, passing by the small alcove of stores selling books and trinkets and sweets that smell of honey and berries, passing the train conductors giving him uneasy glances. He shuts himself in one of the stalls, unbuttons his coat, and looks down. His shirt is ripped up and half gone. When he rolls back his sleeves, he sees strips of his shirt's fabric bandaged around his forearms and wrists. They're stained with blood, and the knots are messy, as if they've been untied and retied a few times. He moves to pick them apart again, but pauses at the words laboriously written in pen on the fabric by the knot. Fine for now. Wait until at home. He stares at the words for a little bit. He tries to remember what happened at Kasai 181. It's all blank, so he feels for the papers and pens he brought along. They're no longer hidden in his coat seams, but inside his coat pocket. He pulls them out. The paper is crumpled, but there, distinctly, in his own handwriting, is a message. There is someone targeting you. You have forgotten this multiple times already. Something is making you forget. If you don't remember this message, mark where you are on the map first. Map. He searches his pockets again and finds a neatly folded map of the city. He unfolds it and stares at where it's been marked already. A series of X's outline a perimeter that captures nearly half the city, loosely centered around the district he lives in. It's not quite yet complete. Jotaro marks the train station on the map, one step closer to completing the perimeter. He refolds the map and tucks it away, glancing at the nearby clocks in the station. He left for Kasai Block 1 at 3 o'clock. It's almost 7 now. He's lost four hours worth of time. He almost can't believe it, and almost can't believe the events described on the rest of his notepaper— a red-haired girl who can summon objects and creatures out of paper. A ghost on his side? He'd think this was all an elaborate prank, if not for the missing memories and the very real injuries on his arms. If it's real, then his past self was competent enough to devise this way of accomplishing his goals despite the memory loss. Even after forgetting, the injuries are too serious to not notice— and noticing those would naturally lead to reading the messages written down for him. And now, he has a nearly complete map of the zones in the city where he's guaranteed to forget whatever it is that he's investigating. Mom's going to be worried. He's late for dinner, after all. It's hardly the first time he's disappeared on her without warning. She can deal with it. And besides, this is more important. If he has enemies coming after him and his family, he needs to gather as much information as soon as he can. Sorry, Mom. I'll try to be back soon. Jotaro is at home. 
Where have you been? Mom flits about him fretfully. Your coat is torn. Did you get into another fight? Jotaro glances down. His coat has been buttoned up in front of him. He only does that when there is something he wants to hide from her. But what was it? No, he'll wait until he's alone to find out. Better not to worry her. Her hands hover about him anxiously, and Jotaro pushes them away with another practiced and familiar annoyance. He glances around uneasily. When did he get back? It's already dark outside. Whatever. I'm home. He kicks his shoes to the side and strides indoors. He's hungry, he notes. Is there food left? Yes, I was waiting for you. Shall we eat together? Jotaro doesn't say anything, but he does head to the kitchen and set the table for two, which is his own kind of answer. She chatters happily as he eats, about everything and nothing, and he lets the sound of her voice wash over him. It's good that she's happy. It's good that she hasn't noticed that he's moving his arms a little slower, or the occasional spasm when moving the chopsticks makes his whole arm ache. Just what kind of fight did he get into? He puts the dishes away when they're done eating, and quickly retreats to his room to find out. She waves cheerily to him as he goes. Locking the bathroom door, he takes off the coat and looks at the bandages on his arms. He reads the message there, and then he reads the notes in his pocket, and he looks at the crumpled map and the zone marked down on it. He should feel something, he thinks, but he doesn't. Just a sort of lack of reaction as he mechanically undoes the makeshift bandages on his arms and looks at the deep bite marks on his wrist and the bloody slashes on his left arm. He disinfects and stitches them with the first aid kit he has hidden under the sink, biting down on a towel like he usually does to hide any noise he might make. Not the first time he's done this, but he doesn't think it's ever been quite this bad before either. He was lucky, this encounter. The other party retreated, sure, but not before nearly fucking up his arms beyond repair. Now he's lost a shirt, too. He can't be this unprepared next time. It's break time between classes at school. Jotaro glares at the girls congregated in his vicinity until they scatter, leaving him alone to his thoughts. Always so loud it hurts his ears, gets his skin crawling until he can't hold it in, and he ends up snapping at them to go away. Always makes him feel like an asshole. They can't help it. Guess that's proof he's an irredeemable asshole then. He goes to the roof to smoke a cigarette, even though he's not supposed to, and when the teachers see him, they don't stop him either. Good. His nerves are fraying after being in school for so many days straight. Standing by the fence on the rooftop, looking out at the city, he reaches into his pocket for his cigarettes and lighter, only to bump into something unfamiliar. He pauses, then pulls it out. It's a mean-looking pocket knife, its handle well-worn. There are scuffs on the metal. Jotaro stares at it. He hasn't used this pocket knife in years, tried to put it away for good after the fight that nearly sent him to a hospital. 
Why is it here? He reaches into his pocket again. His fingers close around the map. Log, April 12th, returned to Kasai 181, stayed for two hours, no attack. April 13th, went to downtown train station near Red Light District, Kasai 19 through 20, and Kasai 12 through 13, no attack. April 14th, went to Inan 1342, red-haired girl attacked. Used her paper power again, threw knives, sicked a pack of wolves on me, and tried to run me over with a car. Car's windows very easy to break, smashed windshield and dragged her out. Constructs aren't as durable as original objects. Still won't tell me why she wants me dead. Nearly stabbed me in the eye with a hidden knife. Check her jacket next time. And ran away. No sign of purple ghost, if it exists. April 15th, and on 13, 14, 15. No sign of her. April 17th, feels like someone's watching me at school. April 18th, Sawari 964. Jumped me in an alleyway with more animals. Grabbed her before they could get me. Told her I'd break her arms and legs. She didn't seem to care. Said as long as I was dead at the end, she didn't care what happened to her. And so on, and so forth. Jotaro reads the paper carefully. He doesn't remember any of these things happening. doesn't remember writing these words down either. It's a bit unbelievable. He wishes his past self had been more descriptive about it all. He unfolds the map again. Its creases are starting to get worn. With a red pen, he marks down the location of every attack that has been logged, and he frowns. All the attacks have occurred outside the zone marked on the map. If there are any attacks that have happened within it, he has no idea. Is it possible he's forgotten all of them? Or maybe the girl really hasn't attacked him any time he's stayed within the zone of forgetting? If that's the case, then just what? He needs to investigate more thoroughly. He consults another map of the city and writes down a list of locations near the border but within the zone of forgetfulness. He'll spend the next week testing these locations and see if the girl shows up to try and kill him again. The lacerations and wounds are healing slowly. They don't ache all the time anymore, and that's good. Without the constant presence of their pain, he can't count on his future self quickly finding his notes and papers again after forgetting. As far as he can tell, the gaps between the notes he's writing down for himself are growing longer. That's unacceptable. The address for Kasai 181 has long since healed, so Jotaro uses his pocket knife to cut another message into his forearm. You're forgetting. Check your pockets. He cuts it fairly deep, not enough to reach muscle, but enough that it won't heal in a week. It stings badly when he washes and cleans it, and continues to bother him for hours yet. Good. That's good. Yotaro comes home late again. 
No attack today either, or at least none that he knows of. He's starting to think that the girl really hasn't been attacking him within the marked zone, but why? He takes his shoes off at the door and pads down the hall towards the dining room and pauses when he hears his mother's voice. Been staying out late for the past three weeks, and he won't ever tell me what he's doing. I'm just worried. A pause. But what if he's in trouble? Sometimes he comes back with his coat all dirty and scuffed up, and he loves that coat. He always insists on repairing it himself. And the other day I thought I saw him with the most horrible knife wounds on his arm. Another pause. Dad, that's not good enough. I can't just stand by and hope for the best. Maybe he took care of himself well enough on the trip to Egypt. She sounds skeptical. But that doesn't mean he should have to. In the ringing silence after her declaration, Jotaro stands still in the hallway, just out of sight. He puts his hand on the wall by the door, just that neither reaching to open the door nor pulling away. In that moment, it feels like his mother is so close he could take the hand that's reaching out to him, and at the same time, there is a great yawning chasm between them that he cannot hope to breach. But she is still looking, she is still reaching, and Jotaro can only look back at her and think, why, why? She sighs. The moment breaks. I know, Dad, she says, sounding quieter now, like she's been made small. Made small by the things that he does. I just wish... Jotaro listens for a moment longer, and then he quietly leaves. Half an hour later, she finds him smoking a cigarette in the backyard, staring absently out at the stars rising in the night sky, breathing in the fresh air and the scent of growing things, and the hint of ripening berries on the breeze. Oh, Chotro, you're home, she calls, stepping out onto the porch with a smile. Chotro glances at her and exhales another plume of smoke. She huffs. You shouldn't smoke. It's bad for you. Quickly put that out. Dinner has been ready for a few hours now. Let's go eat. Don't tell me what to do, Jotaro says annoyed, and he stays outside and smokes for a few more minutes after she leaves, just to be contrary. But he puts the cigarette out soon after and joins her in the dining room wordlessly. She doesn't hold it against him. She never does. He skips classes to smoke on the rooftop again. The smoke rises to blend in with the white clouds moving aimlessly across the blue sky. It's not summer yet, but he feels it all the same. The emptiness and the dilation of time that accompanies those long summer afternoons of lying in his darkened room and listlessly feeling the heat in the air and wondering, what is the point? The point of what is the question, but even if someone asked, he wouldn't have an answer. He just knows the question is there, and the answer is missing, has been for years now, 
and he has only been waiting ever since to know what it is like to have something driving you besides anger and an inexplicable, incessant feeling of loss. He found something during the trip to Egypt, he is pretty sure. He remembers road trips and plane crashes, and nights around the campfire laughing at shitty meals and shittier jokes, but before he knew it, it was gone, and now he is back in his hometown with the same old emptiness, and nothing has changed at all. It would have been nice to find friends on that trip. Would have been better if he could keep them. It's a blur, though. The people he met, their names and faces escape him, so they couldn't have mattered that much to him in the end, at all. He's smoking on a bench by the park when a girl comes to sit next to him. Jotaro glances at her warily, have those groupies from school found him somehow? But she doesn't look at him, doesn't speak to him. He judges her to be safe after a moment and turns back away. Naturally, that's when she speaks. You're a lonelier person than I thought. She's looking directly at him now. Her face shows no particular expression, but her eyes are piercing. You know me from somewhere? He says. Yes, but you don't know me. Judging from her green school uniform, she is probably another student at his school whose face he doesn't know. He takes another drag of his cigarette and waits for her to finish speaking. I thought you would have had more friends. You seem so popular, after all. But when I look closer, I notice there's never anybody by your side. Jotaro doesn't look at her. He breathes out a cloud of smoke. So, he says flatly, it's only natural. People like him, they're too sharp to keep anyone by their side for long. Better to keep everyone at arm's length before they can get hurt. Better if no one manages to get that close at all. So I thought the thing I felt in our past meetings wasn't wrong. You're just like me. Past meetings? Well, whatever. Lots of people at school he doesn't remember talking to. Still, for anyone to think they've got something in common with him, he has to say something. But he doesn't have anything to say. Finally, he offers. Too bad. It's not nearly enough to say what he means at all. Yeah, they sit there, like that, for a few minutes, watching people walk by in the park and trees and grass rustle in the wind. The sun is bright. Somewhere in the distance, a dog is barking. I want to ask you a question, the girl says. Why him? If you ended up killing someone, why do you think you'd do it? She doesn't hold back, does she? Normally, he'd just up and walk away. But maybe it's the cigarettes, and maybe it's the strange mood he's had since the rooftop, or the sense of sadness he gets from watching everyone go about so mundanely under the afternoon sun. He stays, and he thinks. 
If I killed someone, he wants to say it would be for the sake of protecting someone. He'd kill to protect what family he has left. Dad doesn't count as family. He never came to see Mom, even when she was sick and dying. But sometimes when he gets into fights, he wonders. It would be so easy to kill someone. Not due to carelessness or accident, but to some other terrible, nihilistic impulse. He feels it somewhere when his knuckles are bloodied and his opponents are lying groaning on the ground. And he should look at them and feel something. Anger, guilt, pity, anything at all. But he just feels empty. Like a bystander. As he watches himself bring back his fists to land another hit on someone who stopped being able to fight three hits ago. If he killed someone... It would be because I didn't care enough to stop myself anymore, he says. What an ugly truth. This terrible thing seeping in his soul. And if his mother knew, what would she say to him? Would she look at him with fear and unease, like she should have the first time he beat up a man three times his age? Please don't, not you, anyone but you. Would she look at him? the same as before, with that strange sorrow, her arms open, her hands reaching, trying to save him from the terrible fact of himself. The girl studies him for a while. He wonders what she sees on his face. What would bring you to that point? she asks. That's an easy answer. If there wasn't anything left that mattered... They're silent. There's a flock of pigeons on the sidewalk gathered around a fallen sandwich, and he watches them flutter about as everyone in the park goes on with their own small lives. You really are the same, she says quietly, and she stands up. Her red hair shines under the sun, and there's something sad and lonely about her in that moment, and the way her back is towards him, and her face is turned away to some distant sight, the emptiness of the sidewalk stretching out beside her, until the people in the park seem so terribly far away. He almost asks, but then he doesn't. He never does. She turns to face him. Kujo Jotaro, she says. This is my stand. Something dark shimmers into existence next to her, something like charcoal or gunmetal in the twisted shape of a deer, or is it a spider instead? Her stripe-like areas where it looks like the dark color has been chipped away to reveal dazzling mirrors underneath, and where the thing's face should have been, if it had one, is instead what looks like a single large camera lens. He finds himself on his feet, tense, ready to move away. What the hell is that thing? Her name is Smoke and Mirrors. Try not to die. Smoke and Mirrors makes a sound like a thousand crickets chirping and leaps. Jotaro reflexively tries to punch it, but his fist just bounces right off, like it doesn't even notice. 
and then its legs wrap around him in a nightmarish and many-jointed embrace. A slit opens up under its lens-like eye to reveal a mouth full of teeth. It aims for his head. Some reflex Jotaro didn't even know he had activates. It feels like a mental declaration or some strange flexing of the will, and there's a familiar ghost tearing Smoke and Mirror's arms off of him with an achingly familiar war cry. The girl cries out, My arm, you fucking asshole! She shouts, clutching it close to her. Oh, you're always fucking like this! Give it a rest already! She's the one who attacked him with that freaky thing, so why the hell is she so mad about it? If she wants to fight, she better expect to get one. Smoke and mirrors hisses its cricket chirp cry and scuttles back to the girl's side. She clambers onto its back and glares. I suppose I should feel lucky that you never remember how to use star platinum properly, she says contemptuously. Star platinum... Jotaro starts forward and the ghost with him. Wait! No, I got my answers, she says. But she does pause and look at him with an expression he doesn't quite understand. Goodbye, Jotaro. Please forget about this soon. Smoke and mirrors leaps away, too fast for him to follow. And she's gone. So he rediscovers the papers in his pocket and his missing memories, and he carefully records this encounter down on the record of actions he's taken to figure out this mystery. The ghost doesn't leave. It stays by his side, watchful, as he writes down the details about smoke and mirrors. Jotaro writes down what the girl asked about and what she said at the end, too. He looks at the ghost, asks it a question, it doesn't answer, but Jotaro thinks he understands anyway. At the end of the entry, he writes, The ghost's name is Star Platinum. He returns home fairly early that day, 6.30 p.m., when the sky has started to streak pink and orange, but hasn't yet darkened. The red-haired girl is on his mind, she approached him so easily, he never suspected a thing. It makes him uneasy. He keeps forgetting her, so that means at any time she could simply walk up to him and stick a knife between his ribs. But she doesn't. Why? If she wanted him dead, wouldn't it be easy, with the way he keeps forgetting? He almost thinks there's something else to it. He almost thinks he knows what it is. Jotaro is distracted as he takes his shoes off at the door, as he walks towards the smell of fried rice from the dining room and the faintest hint of what might be berries or wine behind it. What could make someone fight with the intent to kill, but without... without... Mom whirls around when he opens the door, covering the mouthpiece of the phone, eyes wide. Oh, it's just you, Jotaro! She says after a moment, her voice strangely high, and Jotaro wonders if she wasn't talking to Gramps again about the same thing as the other day. Who is it? he asks, jerking his chin towards the phone. Oh, it's, it's, uh, it's, her hands flutter nervously. She smiles. 
It's your grandpa. We were just catching up. He grunts in acknowledgement, then, on a whim, Can I talk to him? She hesitates for a long moment. He must have interrupted an important conversation. He feels kind of bad, but he doesn't know how to take back the question, so he just stands there and waits silently. Sure, she says finally, smiling again. It's good to connect with your family. It don't take too long, all right. Dinner's ready. He nods and takes the phone from her and pretends not to notice her bustling about at the table to hide the fact that she's paying attention to what he's saying. Jotaro puts the phone to his ears. Gramps. Oh, Jotaro, it's good to hear from you, the old man laughs happily. You haven't talked to me in so long. I was getting worried. Just getting settled back in school. I see. Is that all? Your mother is quite worried about you, you know. Hmm. I know you're an observant kid. You've noticed by now, surely. She's been telling me about how you keep coming home late. You want to tell her what that's all about? Jotaro takes a deep breath to study himself. The flowers are blooming. The night is fresh. The faint scent of berries drifting in from outside. It's none of her business. Oh, Jotaro, don't be so stubborn. It's nothing for her to be worried about. She's your mother. Of course she's going to worry. Well, at the least, can't you tell her what you were doing today? He thinks back. He didn't really do anything today. Just went to the park and smoked her for a while. Nothing he can't share, but she's going to nag him about straying too far away from the neighborhood again. He doesn't answer the old man, which the old man correctly takes as a no. I see. Well, think about it. She loves you a lot. He knows that. And she worries a lot. Especially with everything that happened during our trip. Wasn't anything they couldn't deal with, though. He tries to accept her affections as they come, as best he can. But this kind of suffocating glory, it rankles. Jotaro quietly lets out a breath. He doesn't think Mom picks up on it, but Gramps does. Something on your mind? Yotaro starts to say no, but there was that thing he was thinking about on the way home, right? What was it again? Hey, old man, if someone was trying to kill you, but they didn't do it quick and easy and kept coming at you head on, what would you think? A pause. Strange question. Do they have some strong sense of honor? No. Ambush type gets real mad. Hmm, and they're attacking you. Well, do they want to survive the attack? Jotaro processes that for a moment. Oh, this is the answer, he thinks. But he can't remember what it was the answer to. Why do you ask, Jotaro? Did you get attacked by another... <laughs> 
Jotaro shakes his head to clear away the ringing in his ears. What did the old man just say? Probably something about the other delinquents or gangs at school, right? The connection must have cut out. No, I'm fine. You're sure it wasn't referring to something? That was awfully specific. It was... Why had he been thinking about that question again? It had to do with something important. Something big. For some reason, he thinks of a park. A sunny afternoon. And a flash of red hair. But nothing like that happened. Maybe it was just a dream. Nothing important. I guess I didn't sleep well last night. If you're sure... Gramps doesn't sound like he believes him. But, for all that he's incredibly annoying to be around sometimes, he's also very perceptive at times. He doesn't push Jotaro to share. Much. If there's anything you want to talk about, just give me a call and I'll be there. Jotaro projects a doubtful silence to the phone. The old man picks up on it and laughs. <laughs> Don't be like that. But I know how you are, and I know how teenagers are about telling their parents things. You can't bottle it all up, you know. So if there's ever anything you need to talk about that you can't tell Holly, I'll be there. Jotaro snorts a bit. <laughs> Don't think you'd believe me. It can't be any wilder than... And... Right? The connection cuts out again. Jotaro's head hurts from the feedback noise spiking with pain, but he shakes it off. Gramp was probably talking about one of his shitty old adventures. And, well, the old man has a point. If he had to tell anyone about something, it'd probably be easier to tell him than his own mom. I'll think about it. You can hear the smile in his grandfather's voice. Good, good. Call me any time. Don't worry about time zones. Your grandpa will come running to save the day. The old man goes on in this vein for a while, with the same old stupid things that he always says. But it's nice. Comforting. Jotaro indulges in it for a few minutes before finally hanging up on the old man. I interrupted your call he says to his mom. A question, and not. Oh, don't worry about it, she says, smiling. I can always call back another day. But she is a bit subdued, a strange shadow cast in her eyes, and it takes half of dinner before it is finally chased away. A message on his arm has scabbed over and started healing enough that it doesn't hurt anymore when he moves. Jotaro takes out his pocket knife again and reopens all the wounds. He can't let himself forget. He's been focusing on the wrong thing, he decides, a bit after another skirmish with the red-haired girl, Writing down details about his fights with her and her attacks won't help him if she attacks him during a point of time when he's forgotten everything. 
he has to investigate what's causing him to forget in the first place. He spends a few afternoons investigating one section of the border of the forgetting zone, the part that's nearest to his house. He thinks it might have been a confusing few afternoons. He only remembers remembering the girl and her supernatural powers at the end of it, when she attacks him again with her smoke-and-mirrors creature, and he finds himself using star platinum to beat her off. He learns a bit more about smoke-and-mirrors during that fight. At the end of it, when they're both out of breath, but he's clearly coming out on top, smoke-and-mirrors swivel its head towards a nearby parked car. For the first time, Jotaro sees it blink as the lens eye closes like a shutter, then reopens. A moment later, a piece of paper slides out of its mouth like a photo ejected from a camera. The red-haired girl grabs the paper and throws it on the ground. It turns into a car. Before he can stop her, she gets in and drives away. Okay, then. He writes down the details before he can forget, and then he marks the location of the attack on the map. As with every other attack, it's been outside the forgetting zone. Jotaro clenches and unclenches his fist a few times as he thinks about it. His notes reveal that he hasn't found anything suspicious near the border of the zone that might explain the effect of it. The sun is setting in the sky, and he's wasted another day. It takes him so long to realize because he spends so much time in or near the zone. It's only after he takes the train halfway to another city out of frustration before coming back that he realizes there's a sweet, fermenting scent in the area, like berries ripening at the end of summer. It's not quite summer yet, much less the end of it. How could he be this stupid? How did he not notice before? It's no guarantee that the smell is coming from some kind of plant, but he's desperate for any kind of progress at this point. He buys a guide to local plants from a bookstore and starts reading up on it, practicing identifying plants and trees so he can spot anything that's out of place. A few days later, and he doesn't have any new progress written down in its notes, but he does think, occasionally, that he senses something watching him. And a few times, he could have sworn he saw something moving among the leaves. The deeper wounds are mostly healed, and the words on his arm have scabbed over and faded in pain once again. It's almost routine at this point. Sit in the bathroom, pull back his sleeve, pick off all the scabs and flick open the pocket knife cut open everything that started to heal deep enough to hurt for days to come. You're forgetting. Check your pockets, his arm says, in bloody scratches. He's sick of it. He wants for it all to be over already. But he has to keep going, because if he doesn't keep this record on his body, if he doesn't keep the pain fresh... How will he know what's happened to him? How will he remember? He washes the pocket knife in the sink and disinfects the blade. He only used it in a couple of fights before he retired it, on account of how worried it made his mom. It's seen more of his own blood 
than anyone else's by this point. A depressing thought, he thinks, but what other choice does he have? There's a red-headed girl who joins him on the rooftop of the school. Jotaro doesn't look over from where he's smoking again, but it doesn't deter her from walking over and standing right next to him, looking out at the city, same as him. It's been a while since we last talked, Cujo, she says. He flicks some ash off the cigarette through the fence, off the roof. Do I know you? He says flatly. Yes, she says, but I doubt you remember. She shouldn't take it personally. He doesn't bother remembering most of the people in school. What do you want? He doesn't answer for a while, which is annoying, but it's fine. He goes back to smoking, and it's quiet for a while until she says, Hey, what would you do if you lost everything important to you? What the hell is with this weird question? If you lost someone important, I ain't the one you should look to for comfort, he tells her, and she laughs at him, a bit amused, but mostly mocking. He doesn't like it. Feels like there's some huge joke he's missing that's being played on him. Oh, I know that. But indulge me, would you? Last time we talked, it helped me understand. Understand what? He wonders. But he considers whether or not he cares enough to ask and realizes no, he doesn't. In the end, she's a stranger to him, and the gap between them nearly insurmountable. Why does he care to try and understand her? If you've lost everything, then fuck this whole world, he says. And if it's someone else's fault, make them pay. What else is there to do? He takes a drag of his cigarette and adds, before offing yourself at the end of it, anyways. It stirs a memory. A phone call. A question he asked. Do they want to survive it? That was the answer he received. But what was the question? What was it? Would you try and kill yourself at the end? The girl asks, shaking him out of his thoughts. What are you fucking around and asking this question for? Jotaro snaps. He turns to face her fully. She meets his glare head-on with a steely, contemptuous gaze that says she won't back down. Just wondering, she says. I'd like to get to know you, after all. He's fed up with this. He gets up and walks away, towards the stairs, back down to the ground. I mean, if you want my opinion, the girl says behind him, I think I'd do it. Dot, dot, dot. Jotaro turns around and studies her. You come here to jump? What? I asked if you came here to jump. So what if I did? Dot, dot, dot. In just a few long strides, he's standing in front of her, hand firmly grasping her by the arm. Then we're leaving the roof, he tells her forcibly, to indicate that this isn't an option. She laughs at him. 
Despite everything, you are quite kind, aren't you? She says, lips curling up in some sort of distant mockery. Shut up! Don't you have any friends you can talk to about this? If I did, why the hell would I be talking to you? Dot, dot, dot. Whosever fault it was, I'd make them pay, Jotaro says. He can feel her gaze on him, but he's turned away from her, not looking out at the city, back towards home. I don't know how to build things up, only to tear them down. I'm only good for fighting. And if I've lost everything already, then what good is that? But... Jotaro exhales. But I can't let that shit pass by without remark. It has to mean something, so I have to do something, too. Someone has to remember it. Pay the price. And if that means tearing everything down, then so be it. He shifts his gaze back to her. He still hasn't let go of her arm. If you're going to jump, don't do it until everyone knows exactly why. So keep going. Make your pain visible. Make your anger known. Go out with a bang. Not like this. Some quiet, sunny morning with no one to know, but some guy at school you barely even know. You have to do better than that. She studies him for a moment, and she cracks another smile. Not mocking, but sad. But it is more real this time. You have a funny way of comforting people, Cujo, but I think I understand. If you understand, then let's get going already. My, what a gentleman. How can I refuse such a proposal? He ignores her and pulls her down the stairs with him, goes down to the first floor, and closes the doorway to the stairs firmly behind him, louder than necessary to make a point. I'm going back to class, he says curtly, and turns away. What? No rendezvous? No check-ins? She teases. I don't want to see you again, he tells her. She better not come back to that roof. He can't stop her if she goes while he's not there. At least while he's around, he's not going to let anyone just jump. The girl laughs, eyes curving into a foxy sort of smile. <laughs> you are very funny, you know. And she is rude and annoying. He starts walking away. My name is she Momori Kana, she calls after him, and then quietly, like an inside joke. <laughs> Remember that next time. <laughs>